Romans chapter 12. Last week, uh, we started a new series in here on Sunday mornings called Transformed uh, out of Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, and that's what we looked at last week. And, and what we looked at is the idea that, that uh, transformation is supposed to be a part of who we are as Christians. That when you become a child of God, when you become a follower of Christ, uh, things are supposed to be different in your life. There's supposed to be a transformation uh, that takes place. But the transformation for a Christian is not just about uh, cleaning up the outside. It's not just about trying to fix your appearance, if you will. Transformation from a biblical perspective starts on the inside. And then it works its way out to the outside. And, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So our mind has to be renewed. And as our mind gets renewed and begins to be changed, then there are things that begin to transform on the outside as well. And so that's what we looked at a little bit last week. And we saw how there, this is to be a continual transformation. It's not a one-time thing and then you're done. That our minds are to be continually being renewed every day, day by day. Now the remaining part of chapter 12, all the way through halfway through chapter 15, deals with not necessarily what, what it means to or, or what transformation is, but actually how that looks in the life of a believer. And so that's kind of where we're going to start this morning, is we're going we're gonna to uh, move from looking at what transformation is to looking at the first way that it, that it becomes, uh, uh, the, excuse me, let me get my word straight, the first way it becomes visible in our lives as believers. So if you have your Bibles in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 again, and we're going to read down through verse 8. The Word of God says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that as we examine your word of God, uh, that we would, uh, that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me uh, would increase today, and that, Father, that the words would be shared would be your words and not mine, and, and Father, you would use uh, this message today to impact our hearts and our lives for you. Uh, Lord, that we would um, uh, really comprehend what your word has to say to us today, and uh, Lord, that we would apply it to our lives and it would make a, dr a dramatic difference in who we are and in our relationship with you. Father, we pray that your spirit would move in our midst and that, Father, we would respond how you lead us to respond. Is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, in our lives today, we have, we have certain tools that are, are useful uh, to us depending on what we uh, need them for. And, and one of the things that we use a lot today that help us um, are mirrors. We use mirrors today, and they, they really uh, can be very beneficial to us because they, they show us and, and they reveal to us, if it's a good mirror, it reveals truth to us. It reveals to us exactly what is in front of us. Like, you can go to a good mirror, and you can see exactly what you look like. Now, you may not like what you look like, but it's going to reveal the truth of who you are when you look in a good mirror. They help us see things that we need to fix. Um, like I tell my kids all the time, um, my youngest two in particular, um, that when they come to me and they'll go do, um, and, I'll, and they'll start talking, it's right after, it's always after a meal, and they'll start talking to me, and I'm like, go wash your face, but before you do, look in the mirror. I make them look in the mirror. Why? Because I want them to see what I see, okay? And so it helps them to fix the problem. Plus, as a parent, I get tired of them not looking in the mirror. Then they come back and go, did I get it all? And they only got one half of it. And like, go look in the mirror. It will show you where you need to fix that, okay? Uh, ladies, it will show you where your makeup needs to be fixed, right? That's why we have little vanity mirrors in the car right above the visor. So before you get out of the car, you can make sure. That's why it's called a vanity vein. It's vain, by the way. The vanity mirror so you can check your... Um, uh, your makeup. So they help us fix things uh, in our lives, and, and they can even encourage us. That's why when you go to a fitness center, there there's mirrors all the way around. Because when you lift weights and when you exercise, it releases a chemical in your brain that makes you feel good. And when you feel good and what you see in the mirror, even though it hasn't dramatically changed in the 45 minutes you were there, it feels like it's changed in the last 45 minutes you were there. And it encourages you to continue moving forward. That's why when you go to a major fitness area, they always have mirrors. You ever notice that? They always have mirrors. They want you to see yourself working because it encourages you to continue to work to achieve your goal. However, as good as mirrors can be in our life, sometimes they can also uh, be not so good because sometimes mirrors can misinform us. They, they may not exactly be a good mirror. For example, that's why when you drive a car, the passenger side mirror has a sign on the mirror telling you that objects in the mirror may appear closer or further closer than they appear or may be closer than they appear. Why? Because it's not a true mirror. It, it's not, it doesn't reveal the exact truth. And if you go off of it, you might actually hit something that's there because it's actually closer than it appears in the mirror. It's the way they have to design it in order for it to work what it's in scheduled to do. So sometimes mirrors can actually misinform us, especially if it's not a good mirror, um, and, and, and discourage us or cause us to go into trouble. And, and what we do is, is almost everyone I know uses mirrors from time to time. But when you use a mirror and you look into it, I just want to ask this question, what do you see? When you evaluate yourself and what you see in the mirror, what, what do you see? Now, this morning when I asked that question, I'm not necessarily talking about the spiritual, from a physical standpoint, of what you see when you look in a physical mirror. The question the side I want to come from is from the inside, from your mind, from the way you view yourself on the inside. When you look at a mirror, what do you see spiritually? 
What does your spiritual mirror reveal about you? In the 1930s, the Disney uh, company came up with a lot of movies that come from uh, the Brothers Grimm, which was a, a German company uh, that had written all these little fairy tales. And they, they, uh, they, one of the movies they came out with in the 1930s was the movie Snow White, uh, which, by the way, is the 10th highest grossing film of all time. Uh, is the cartoon Snow White from the 1930s. And um, anyway, in this film, there's a, a wicked queen who has this, quote, magic mirror, and, and she would famously ask that mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, you know? And then the mirror would come back and respond. And, and then one day, though, the mirror would come back and gave the response that she didn't like, and the rest of the movie is about this wicked queen getting her revenge on the one who's more fairer than she was, okay? And so when you do that this morning, I just want to ask yourself, mirror, mirror on the wall, not who's the fairest of them all, but basically just mirror, mirror on the wall. What do you see when you look at me? What do you see when you look at me? You see, in our text this morning, I believe what it shows and reveals to us is what our view of self really should be as a transformed or a transforming Christian. That as we're becoming transformed by the renewing of our mind, the way we view ourselves ought to be the first thing that is transformed. Because in all of the other things, of all the things he could have started with, that, that being transformed by the renewing of our mind, of all the things he could have started with that happened, when that happens, he starts with this. Look at verse 3. So he's already said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for or because I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So the very first thing that, that Paul talks about in Romans 12, after saying we ought to be uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind, is he tells us that we oughtn't think too high of ourselves. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about this text and give you some things that it shows us and reveals to us because I believe this gives us the proper perspective for how we view ourselves. And this is vital because as Christians and as people, but even as Christians, we are prone to think of ourselves higher than we ought to think. We like to put our ways above others' ways. We like to think we know more than they do, or we, we are understanding this more than they are, or, or whatever you want to do to fill in the blank. And so Paul starts immediately describing to them, if you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, the very first thing that should happen is that you should stop thinking too highly of yourself. And the idea is just you need to have a proper perspective of yourself. That's really what he's getting around to, and that's what I want to talk about today. And I really only have two things I want to share with you about this. And the first one is I want to give you some principles for proper perspective. I want to give you some principles for what, it, for how to have, uh, or, or this principles of what proper perspective really is. Well, the first thing about that, that there's three of these that I want to give you. The first one is uh, proper perspective, and this isn't in your bulletin, so you can write this in. I actually added it last night. Uh, but proper perspective described. What is it what does it look like to have a proper perspective of yourself in relation to being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Well, he defines it in verse 3, and it's really simple, and it's very simply this. 
not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. That's what it means to have a proper perspective of self. Simply put, don't be puffed up. Don't be arrogant in what you see in yourself. Okay, that's that's first thing. The second thing is, who needs this? Who needs this um, proper perspective? We'll go back to verse 3, and I'll answer that question, because um, there, there may be some things this morning that I talk about, and I'll go ahead and say this here, that immediately your mind might go to someone else. And you might even be tempted to do this. Man, I wish so-and-so was here today. So-and-so really needed to hear that. I'm going to challenge you this morning not to ask that question, but instead to ask this question. Actually make this statement. I needed to hear that today. It's not about what, because if your first thought is going to someone else, then more than likely you think too highly of yourself because you don't think you need this, you think they do, you see? All right, so uh, there's going to be some things I may go through that might make you think of someone else, but don't think about them. Think about you. Think about how this applies to you. So who needs this? I mean, is it important that all of us, that all believers need to to, uh, not be arrogant or don't be puffed up or not to think more highly of ourselves than we should? Well, the Bible actually tells us exactly who this command is for. Go back to verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Everyone. Underline that word, everyone that's among you. Because I love that word, everyone, because it, it, it literally means, it's a great word. It literally means everyone. Simple. There's no one that this excludes. So when you read this text, he's not just talking to a pastor. He's not just talking to the one that's in charge. He's not just talking to the leadership of the church. He's not just talking to the older adults. He's not just talking to the younger adults who a lot of times, I can say this because I are one, think that our ways are the best ways and all the old ways are the out-of-date ways. And sometimes we have a tendency to look down on things that were done before we even knew what was going on because it happened before our lifetime. So sometimes young adults, we tend to write off all the old things as bad. Okay, but sometimes the older adults write off all the new things as bad, too. So it's not just to the older adults. It's not just to the younger adults. It's not just to the teenagers who definitely need to stop thinking more highly of themselves than they should. It's for everyone. Everybody in the church needs to start looking at themselves in a proper manner. Now, why? Why is it for everyone? Because there is a tendency within each and every one of us here to think more of ourselves than we ought to think. There are too many of us that become conceited or prideful or even arrogant with our own importance or maybe our own ability or maybe our own opinions or maybe our own looks or Maybe it's the performance we give. We know we're better than everyone else. Or maybe it's our education we have. So that, that deals with our knowledge. So maybe we, get, uh, we think our no- we know more than everyone else does. Or, or maybe it's our popularity. We're more popular, so obviously our opinion matters more. Maybe it's our money. We give more money, so we know more about this. Or maybe it's our goodness. We're good people, so we're better than so-and-so. Or and maybe it's the position we have. Maybe we're put in position, and therefore we automatically think, well, they wouldn't put me in this position if they didn't think that I deserved it and so maybe I do deserve it and then we start thinking of ourselves more than we should maybe it's our title you can just go on and on and on and fill in the blanks but all of us and it starts at a very young age tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think 
Now, uh, I, I had some experiences growing up as a kid, and um, now I'm seeing it from another perspective as a parent. And, and what I mean by that is athletics. When I was a, a kid, I had to work really hard to be what I considered even decent at sports. It didn't come natural. Now, I played college football, but it took everything I had to do that. And there were guys that were just naturally gifted, didn't have to work at all, and they were just good. And it used to drive me crazy, but it was reality. But here's what I remember. I remember being uh, little, and the only time we had one, when I was in the fourth grade, we had one little season of basketball. When I say little season, we had three games. And I remember playing in the fourth grade, and, and nobody would throw me the ball. Nobody wanted me on their team. Nobody would throw me the ball. And then I'd get the ball, and, and I, I, I couldn't shoot. I didn't know how to shoot. Now, I, the people in my family played basketball, lived in Tulsa. I didn't know. And, but I was trying. I was doing everything I could, but I, I started getting called names and started being made fun of and all that. Well, now I, I'm, I'm seeing that from a different angle and a different perspective because my kids are that age and they're playing. But you know what amazes me now as the, as the angle, as I see it differently, that my parents were telling me then that I couldn't comprehend because I wasn't seeing it from their viewpoint. And that is when you're in the fourth grade, there ain't none of you superstars. And I started watching, and some of the kids, and I don't, I'm not going to call any of them out by the name, but some of the kids who play with my kids and, 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 and do that, they, they think they're superstars. They think they're the greatest thing ever. And their parents tell them that, by the way. And you're sitting there watching them and going, yeah, they made two out of 15 shots. <laughs> yeah, you're so good. You, you scored 10 points as a team, you made four of them, and you shot, you shot two for 20. Okay, you're not, Nobody's a superstar in the fourth grade. I'm, I'm sorry, you're not. Okay, You get better, which is great. But nobody's there. But here's the problem. When you're young and you think you're good, you get built up with pride. And that doesn't stop when you're in elementary school. It goes to junior high and then it comes to high school. And it doesn't have to be sports. It can be music. It can be your academics. It can be in your popularity. It doesn't matter. And then it goes right on into adulthood. It never stops. We all have a tendency, if we're not careful, to be puffed up and built up and think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And that's what Paul is addressing here. So what we can gather is that when Paul is addressing this, there's got to be a reason why he covers it first. And I believe that the reason why he covers it first is because it was happening in the church. They had a church where people were thinking more of themselves than they ought to think. And so he says, every one of you needs to have this proper perspective. All of us need to stop thinking too highly of ourselves. Why? Because God stands against those. The word of God says very clearly that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes or stands against the arrogant and the prideful, but he gives grace to those who walk in humility. So everyone, this command's for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do, it's for you. And number three, how do you get it? So how do you get this proper perspective? We'll go back to verse three, because he tells us exactly. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The way you and I get a proper perspective of ourself as we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, is we have to start thinking of ourselves in a sober manner. Now, that word sober is not a word that we use a whole lot in the church. Matter of fact, it's more used out in the world, and it deals with pretty much one simple thing. It has to do with alcohol. You know, you, you alcoholics go, and, and you even hear them. 
uh, recovering alcoholic. So I'm sober X amount of years, or I've been sober this. Well, what does the word sober really mean? Well, the word sober in the Greek literally means to be balanced, to be sane, uh, to be in your right mind. Okay? So the idea is to have a balanced judgment of yourself. A sober judgment, a balanced or sane, I love that, they use sane, so that means to have an, you know, think about this for a minute, to have an improper judgment of yourself is insane, okay? And so to be sane, to be in your right mind, to have a balanced view of yourself, and that's how you get a proper perspective, is by balancing your view and being being in your right mind and being sane about it. So this exhortation is to think of oneself wisely or accurately, making a sane and well-balanced evaluation of one person's abilities or, or who they are. It means to be honest with yourself about who you are. Now, that doesn't always mean coming down on yourself. Sometimes we need to encourage ourselves. I'm going to talk about that in a second because this can work the other way as well. But we have to have an honest evaluation of ourselves. Now, why? Why is it important that you and I have an honest evaluation of ourselves, an honest perspective of ourselves? And this is the reason. You can write this down. Because having too high of an opinion of yourself can lead to bad things. Also, to have too low of an opinion of yourself or perspective of yourself can lead to bad or destructive things. Let me give you a few examples. When I was 16, I think I've shared this before, but when I was 16, I'd grown quite a bit. I was about as tall as I am. I don't, I didn't weigh nearly as much, but you know, I was playing football, lifting weights, staying active, in good shape, and and one day it was out snowing and, and canceled school. School's canceled, and I'm staring out our windows looking at all that snow, and I wasn't paying a bit of attention to the fact that my dad's car was still parked underneath the carport. Didn't even cross my mind that he was there. And so I'm sitting there, and mom and I talk. She's in the kitchen, and we're talking, and I don't even remember what our conversation was about. But all I do remember is simply getting this, state, this thought came to my mind, and then the statement came out of my mouth. And that's why you should always think before you speak. But anyway, all I said was, I wish my dad was here, because if he was here, I think I'd take him outside and roll him around in the snow. And my mom didn't answer me. She didn't laugh. She didn't do anything. And so I was like, that was weird because we were having the conversation. So I turned to see if she had walked off. And guess who's standing right behind me? And I turned around and I'm facing my dad and I kind of look at him. And he looks at me and he said, well, here I am. Let's go outside. And uh, I said, no. He said, no, let's go outside. And if I'd have had time this morning, I'd have brought the picture my mom wasn't still standing there because my mom went to get the camera. And she, we went outside, and we commenced to wrestling. And within five seconds, I'm face down in the snow. My dad is sitting on my back, and he's feeding me snow. In my, and my mom snapped a picture. And I have a picture of it. I was going to bring it this morning. But here's the problem. When you think too highly of yourself, you're going to end up in trouble. When you think, when you have too high of a perspective of yourself, you're going to end up in trouble. Why? Because it's all going to come crashing down someday. So don't think too highly of yourself because that can cause problems. But the opposite is true as well. You can have too low of a view of yourself. You can have too low of a perspective of yourself, which also leads to disastrous results. You will see this, and it's an ongoing epidemic, and it's becoming more of a problem in our culture today in suicide. 
We have people taking their own lives because they don't see a way out and they've, they've been beat down or they've been bullied into thinking that what people are saying about them is true. Scares me to death as a parent. Scares me. Why? Because number one, I was bullied as a kid and I don't like bullies because I finally grew out of it and realized that I didn't have to allow myself to be bullied anymore. And I don't like bullies. And it scares me the way it's worked now. It scares me with social media. I, when I faced a bully, it was pretty much just stuff being said in school. Now it's online, it's everywhere, they see it, and it beats them down, and then they begin to think what people are saying about them is true. The perspective of themselves drops, bottoms out. They don't see a way out, and suicide's going through the roof. And we're seeing it more and more, not just in older teenagers, we're seeing it in children. We're seeing it in 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Why? Because having too low a view of yourself also leads to disastrous results. So Paul says, be sober, be balanced in your thinking of who you are. We need to be honest about our evaluation of ourselves. We need to avoid getting puffed up with pride, and we need, to be avo- we need to avoid allowing ourselves to become lower than the low based off other people's words. Now, our text goes on to mention a few other motives and a few other reasons why. I gave you one right there in that thinking too high causes problems, thinking too low causes problems. But actually, the Word of God actually gives us a few more straight from Scripture on some motives for having this proper, balanced perspective of ourselves. And I want to give them to you uh, right now. The first one is found also in verse 3. Why do we need to have such a proper perspective? Why is it that I not don't need to think of myself higher than I ought to think, but to think soberly? And here's why. Number one, because what we have comes from God. Look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, when it comes to not just in our world, not just the gifts that we have, not just the blessings we have, but when it specifically comes to within life, within the church, that the faith that we have, the gifts that we have, um, our knowledge that we have, or, or our service position that we have, all of that was given to us as a gift of God. We're not in the church. We are not, quote, self-made men or women. What we have is a gift from God. Everything we have within the life of the church comes from Him. And if it means it comes from Him and it didn't come from ourselves, then, then we have no room to think more highly of ourselves. We have no room to look down on someone else's gifts or abilities. As a matter of fact, if you read the rest of the text that I read this morning, what does it immediately go right into? Gifts. And talking about how we're all one body, but we all have different gifts and how we, we all need each other. So don't look at yourself higher than you ought to think because we need everybody. And so we don't need people being buffed up in the church built with pride because what we have within the life of the church, whether or not it's in view of our Christianity, our faith, or in our service or whatever, that's all been given to us as from God himself, and we have no reason to think too highly, and we have no reason to brag about our faith, our service, or our gifts, or we have no reason to minimize everyone else's. So remembering what we have comes from God helps us keep a sober mind on ourselves. Number two, the other reason from the text of why we need to have a proper perspective is that here's a, here's a key one. What we have is only a measure. Go back and look at verse three again. Have you ever met someone who thinks they have it all? They think they're God's gift. 
And I don't just mean to, to the outside world. God's gift to the girls or God's gift to the boys or whatever. I'm talking about within the church. I'm God's gift to this church. I know more than they know. I can see better than they can see. I have more wisdom than they have. You ever met somebody like that? Listen, I've served with some of them. It's not fun. I can tell you it's not fun. And I try not to be that way. I'm not going to say I've been perfect at it, but I try not to be that way. Why? Because of this verse. Listen to it again. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. A measure of faith. None of us have a full measure of anything. None of us have a full measure of knowledge. There's no one here that knows everything. None of us have a full measure of service. Not anyone here can completely serve in any way, shape, or form 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We all have different ways we can do that, but none of us can do all of it. You see, all of us have been dealt a measure. We're not perfected in any of these areas. We, we all make mistakes. We, we all have flaws. And that's not just in our life, in who we are, like none of us being perfect. That's even in our service and in our faith. We, we make mistakes. We have flaws. We're not perfect. We've only been dealt a measure of faith. And we look forward to the day when that will be changed and we will be given a full measure of all things in heaven. But until that day comes, we've only been given a measure of faith. We have no reason to think more highly of ourselves than we do of others, specifically within the church, because none of us are perfect in anything. We've only been given a measure of things, not a perfect amount. And number three, the third reason from the text, is that everyone has been given something. Everyone's been given something. If you go back and look at verse 3 one more time. I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, there's not a person in the church that hasn't been given a measure of faith from God. And we have no reason to look down on them for their measure of faith when we compare it to our measure of faith. Now, you'll see this play out in a few verses later. When he talks about in um, verse 10, he says, for example, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. So think of others before you think of yourself. And then if you look down and starting in chapter 14, You'll, you'll see how this plays out in, in understanding there's weak believers among us that don't have the same measure of faith. And it tells us how we are to respond to them. And it's not only in chapter 14. It goes all the way through. Uh, actually, the, almost the entire chapter of 14 uh, deals with this idea of what's been cleaned and unclean and how we ought to handle that and who's the weak believer in that whole mess and, and all of that. But the idea and the fact is that everyone has been given a measure of faith. And we shouldn't think more of our own faith than we think of others around us and their faith. 
As a matter of fact, we, we need to, to come along beside them and build them up in their faith instead of looking down on them for their lack of faith. You see, no person or persons have a, a monopoly on, on faith or on any gift or ability. You're not the only one. You're not the only one that can do this or that or this in the church. You see, one believer is as important to God as any other believer, no matter who that believer is and, and, and what they serve in. We've all been gifted by God, but what we have is only a measure, and that's why we need everyone involved because not one person can do it all, but no one person is perfect at it all either. And so we need each other in this process. You see, there's no room for pride and arrogance in the kingdom of God. You and I are going to face, in our lifetimes, we are going to face pride and arrogance in the real world all the time. All the time. People that know more than we do, you know, have more than we do, or thought of more highly than we're thought of, um, respected more than we're respected. We're, we're going to face those times in the world. But those times ought not find their way into the building of the church. We should never look down on anyone based off our view of self. We think we're better. We think we know more. We think we're holier. We think we're more this or more that, and they're not up to our level, and so we look down on them. And what does Paul say? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Because, number one, God has given everyone a gift, but what he's given us is only a measure, and you're not perfect at any of it. So we need each other. So we need to evaluate and we need to know ourselves. If we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the first evidence of that is in how we view ourselves, Not too high and not too low, but balanced. Understanding that what I have comes from God. I didn't create it. I'm not a self-made person when it comes to my faith or it comes to my service. What I have come from him. And I don't have a perfect, I don't have a, full measure. I only have a measure of it. And therefore, I need to remember that everyone else has been given a measure as well within the church.